When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins show. We are back with uh, our season wrap-up edition of this program. Andre Fernandez, Deputy Sports Editor of the Miami Herald, back here with you. With Jordan McPherson, the Miami Herald's Marlins beat writer. Jordan, it was an insane, wild ride, but it ended with a big thud. And that was courtesy of those uh, that team with the P on their caps that, uh, that has that funny mascot, the Phillies. Allowed only two runs in two games and unceremoniously swept the Marlins right out of the playoffs before you could even blink. It was all over. Yeah, no, it was it was a fun ride. It was a long ride. It was a ride that ended a lot quicker than I thought once they got to that point. But you know what? First off, hats off. The Phillies just they're looking like a juggernaut. I mean, they easily took care of the Marlins. They dominated the Braves in game one. At the time of this recording, Phillies and Braves are in game, uh, going to the bottom of the sixth inning in game two, and the Phillies are no-hitting them right now. The yeah. Phillies are no-hitting the, the juggernaut, quote-unquote, best offense we've seen since goodness knows when Atlanta Braves are being held to no-hits through five innings by Zach Wheeler. And it's just that Phillies team, it's dangerous. That crowd at Citizens Bank Park, my goodness, was just absolutely raucous. But on the Marlins side of it, again, I think I said it last week, but just the fact that they got into the playoffs, if we said that at the beginning of the year, they were going to not only be the play in the playoffs, but be the five seed, not even be the last team in, you guys would have probably said that we're crazy. You would have asked what we're smoking and all that type of stuff. But this team, year one under Skip Schumacher, 15 game improvement over last year. They went from 69 and 93 to 84 and 78. They had just 26% odds to making the playoffs at the end of the right at the end of spring training, according to fan graphs. Uh, Skip Schumacher at minimum should be a finalist for NL manager of the year just for what he was able to do with this team, the way that they got here. Again, the 33 and 13 and one run games, all the comeback wins, like half their games were come from behind. He did it without Sandy Alcantara being at his best. He did it with an offense that, while improved, still was near the bottom of the bottom of MLB. But he got that team to have the confidence in itself to say, hey, we can do this. And they mm-hmm. actually were able to do it. While the playoff run itself was short, the fact that they made it in there and the fact that a lot of the a lot of the team that hadn't been in the playoffs before now understands what playoff baseball is like in after a full season with fans in the stands, knowing what that experience is like and what it takes to not just competing there, but what they have to do to get to that next level. This was a very big stepping stone in the right direction for this franchise moving forward. It's unfortunate it ended only two games into the playoffs, but again, barely anybody outside of the people inside that clubhouse thought they were actually going to be able to get that far in the first place. So hats off to a great season and 
Now it's time to see what they do to make sure this wasn't just a one-year blip. Yeah, and, uh, you know, what a wild playoffs it's been, too. I mean, going back to that, I mean, not only the Phillies, but, you know, the road teams have been doing well. The D-backs crushing the Dodgers early on in that series. The Rangers, what they did to the Orioles. The playoff baseball. And, yeah, you hope the Marlins at least get a better taste, a longer taste of that next season. But, yeah, I was going to tell you, that Philly, you've been there before, but in the playoffs, it, it amped up to to another level. And Philly sports, I mean, uh, it, it, always in those venues. I mean, I did a Heat-Sixers playoff game uh, that was unbelievable, just the atmosphere that that they brought in that setting a few years back when, when the Heat lost that series to them. So those fans, whether it's the Eagles, the Sixers, they're all right there in that little vicinity there. They pack whichever venue it is and really turn it into a fun crowd there. But the Marlins will take something from that, you know. They'll learn that kind, what that kind of experience is like. Some of these guys are veterans that may have been used to playoff baseball anyway, but the younger players, I think, will. But let's see. Let's let's talk about that. Because entering the offseason, there's a few questions with this team right now. I mean, mostly contractual stuff. I mean, I think. Before we get to any players, I think one thing for sure is the status of King Kim Eng. Is she coming back? The contract is up at the end of the season. It's hard to believe. I mean, we were talking about it before we started the program. Hard to believe it's been three years already that she's been there. You know, it feels like it's flown by. Uh, and, you know, the job she did this year to put those pieces in place and really, I think, earn the respect of a lot of people within the organization by doing it. So do they bring her back? or? Is someone going to woo her away? Is she going to leave? I mean, what, what what's the latest that you're hearing? Yeah, so nothing publicly has really come out yet, but just thinking about it, if they don't at least put an offer on the table, it to me would be probably the most idiotic thing this franchise could do just because of the fact that the reason they're in the playoffs, the reason they got to the playoffs is because of all of the moves that she had made over the course of these three years, and specifically what she did over this last year and a half when she became the final decision maker once Derek Jeter left right before spring training of 2022, signing Solaire right after that, making those final making a lot of those moves this past offseason, trading for Luis Arise, uh, trading for Josh Bell and Jake Berger at the trade deadline, extending Sandy before his price ended up becoming astronomical because he did that extension before the Cy Young year. So just imagine what the price tag would have been on him at that point. Uh, just all the smaller move, all these moves that she'd made. I mean, going back before the lockout, when they traded for Joey Wendell and Jacob Stallings, trading for AJ Puck, trade, even just her first two moves when they got Jesus Lazardo for Starling Marte and got Brian De La Cruz for Jimmy Garcia, two core pieces for this team for two rentals that they knew weren't going to be back at the end of the year. She is uh, at minimum a half of that big league roster that took part in the playoffs were signed or acquired via trade under Kim Eng's watch. She ended up establishing this and she, and can't forget her hiring Skip Schumacher, a guy who had zero managerial experience, yep. but knew after their interview process, just that what he wanted to establish would work without having a track record for it and seeing that pay off in year one. She is basically almost every move that she has made has worked. So if they, if Kim doesn't come back, it better be because it's Kim's decision to move on from the Marlins, not because the Marlins decided to move on from her. That's my two cents from it. Again, nothing has been set in stone yet. Nothing has been made public, but decisions are going to decision on that front is going to be made soon. And we should hopefully have clarity on that in the next couple of weeks. 
Yeah, and you want stability at the top too, because you know Mike Hill was there for a few years, and then obviously now you don't want. To, that's one of those where if you're really building a sustained winner, would make sense to have you know the ships running in the same direction for a long time, see it through the way they have. So, yeah, you'd hope that they would give her you know a contract extension and then carry this through to the next step. I mean, obviously they took a big step this year. We were waiting for it for the last few years. I know you and I are both looked at it as a uh, year five of the project usually ends up being the year. In, in most cases, they finally took that big leap forward. Now the next one is obviously true contention getting to that next step. I mean, the wheels were falling off a little bit in certain spots too. You lose your top two arms, you know, there's guys mixing and matching out of the lineup, that sort of thing too. So you wonder, could they have given the Phillies a better fight had they been at full strength? Like if you're throwing Sandy one game and you're throwing Yuri the next game, how does that picture look? You know what I mean? So it's like those questions were left unanswered. But next season, obviously a devastating blow. We're going to get to that in a second about Sandy. But at the same time, if the, you, you want to see with Kim at the helm how, what pieces you can add next season, how the shape, the, what shape this team takes going forward so you can only find those answers out with her and we'll see we'll see what they they're that's obviously one of the biggest pieces of news going into the offseason uh over the next uh well I'm not sure what how long it would take but maybe at least over the next few days and weeks for sure um but yeah, let, let's let's jump on that one i mean the, the the news now formally i guess coming out that tommy john for sandy and that obviously a gut punch for that you know for the team and the rotation because you, you you feared when you heard where the injury was that this was coming. And it sucks because, you know, you like I said before, you want to build off of what they were able to do. And now you're going to have to do it without your, your biggest arm. So how do they proceed? Yeah, so first off with Sandy, just I want to give kudos to him for even attempting to come back. He knew that something like this was probably going to be inevitable at some point. The fact that he tried to give what little he had after finding out about the UCL injury, just again, that just speaks to what we've learned about Sandy basically since he joined the rotation full-time in 2019. He's going to give every single bit of what he has to try to get the team to, su to succeed. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Tommy John surgery, he's going to be out for 2024. Two things on the Sandy front. First off, the Marlins have still have considerable amount of starting rotation depth. You look at what they have just on their 40-man roster at this point, Jesus Lazardo breakout year this past year. Braxton Garrett, breakout year this past year. Yuri Perez finally debuted, had a breakout year in the under the restrictions that he had. Obviously, they were monitoring his innings and trying to make sure that he was best poised to succeed for the long term. So you have those three as your top three as it stands. You have Trevor Rogers coming back from injury. You have Max Meyer coming back from injury. You have to figure out what you're doing with Edward Cabrera. He's out of minor league options, obviously struggled this year with command, but when he's hot, he is up there as one of the top-tier guys. You also have Ryan Weathers, who the Marlins are hoping can have sort of like a Jesus Lazario-esque reclamation-type project with him, where obviously his career to this point, he has struggled, but you saw what the Marlins were able to do with Lazario, turned him from struggling to even be a rotation guy, not sure whether he's going to be rotation or bullpen, to being able to be a potential ace for a staff if they need it. I'm not sure if Ryan Weathers is in that ace category, but they feel like they can make him a three or four in the rotation and another lefty. So they have seven options at this point just on their 40-man alone. 
that they can figure out with their five to start the season. And also on the Sandy front, right, you have to remember this. Sandy wasn't his best this year. It was a four point, uh, 4.14 ERA this year. He was great in the second half. Obviously, those 10 starts, his ERA was around three. He had four games where he went at least eight innings, two complete games. But remember, Miami went 11 and 17 in his 28 starts this year. They had a lot of their success come on the days when Sandy wasn't starting. So in a sense, and I'm not trying to, to try to lowball what value Sandy Alcantara brings to this team. He's obviously a key part of this team in the long term. But the Marlins were able to show this year that they were able to win when Sandy Alcantara wasn't available and wasn't at his best. If you take out the Sandy starts, he would, they were 73 and 61 this year. They were 21, they were 20 some games over 500, excluding Sandy Alcantara's outings. So while obviously losing Sandy is going to be a massive gut punch, they have shown that with the group that they have, they're still able to compete without their ace. So that, in a sense, should at least give them some sense of comfort moving forward with the rotation that they have. And also just consider that Lazardo won't be on innings limits next year. Braxton won't be on innings limits next year. Yuri probably will still be on some sense of innings restrictions, but not as severe as they were this year. So they're going to be able to let their horses run next year and see what they have with these guys being able to go out with a lot longer leash than they had this year and see how they can build off that success. Yeah, well, you hope so. I mean, you're you're that have the injury there, but he should be okay by next season. And yeah, you progress there. The key is going to be that I think you know if Braxton builds off of this past season, can he continue to be effective like he was when he was? And Lozardo too. I mean, Lozardo has injury history from before. He had a good time. He was okay this year for the most part. Can he stay durable? Can he build off this year? So if those guys, if they can do that, yes, they can put together a solid enough rotation where. In theory, if the lineup holds, this team can still pretty much be kind of in a position at least similar to what they were this year where they can contend for the postseason. But going back to the contractual stuff, I guess some of those pieces in the lineup, we got to see where what decisions are made. And some of those guys either have player options. Sometimes, In some cases, it's the team. I mean, two guys that jump out that have player options are Josh Bell, who was a big addition in, in in the stretch run to this team, both in and out of the, both on the field and off the field? I think they benefited a lot, and then of course Jorge Soler, who had who who got his power stroke back this season. Really, you know, a lot of clutch homers, a lot of big games for him. So, do those guys come back and become a part of this core? And then there's a few other guys that some decisions need to be made as far as staying. Uh, the one spot that we want to talk about too is that shortstop. Kind of what direction does this team go forward? You know, before this past season, you know, Jazz was moved into the outfield. I mean, Jazz Jazz is another one that was hurt a lot this year. If he comes back to full form, is healthy, durable again, and not missing extended stretches, that's going to be huge for this lineup. But but really, who kind of stabilizes the shortstop situation? Or at least what are the options going into the offseason? Yeah, so I'm gonna. We have a lot of topics in there. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna okay, go, I'll start. Right, yeah, right, no, right, no, right, no, no, no you're good. You. No, you're good. No, I'm gonna work my way through the list. I'll let's start say, let's with. Say, let's say the let's say the player option part. Does yeah, Soler that's where I was. Yeah, and does Bell come back? Yeah, so Solaire. I feel like there's a better chance that Bell comes back than Solaire. Uh, Bell's player option is for sixteen and a half million. Solaire's is for thirteen million. I feel like Solaire has a better chance of getting more on the open market 
or exceeding the player option value than Bell does on the player market. Uh, Soler, 13 million. He had 36 home runs this year, and that was with missing a good chunk of September and not really be a, being at full strength that final month of the year. Uh, he had 36 home runs. More than half of those were either game-tying or go-ahead home runs. Uh, Josh Bell had a great two months with the Marlins, no doubt about it. He hit 270, 818 OPS. Uh, 11 home runs, nine doubles, 26 RBI. He matched his home run total in 53 games of the Marlins. He had the same amount of home runs in those 53 games as he had in his first 97 games in Cleveland before the trade. Mm-hmm. So he really reestablished his offensive stroke over those final two months. But the question is, what are teams going to look at if he does opt out and go to a free to be a free agent? Are they going to look at what he did over two months with the Marlins? Or are they going to look at what he did over the first half of the season with Cleveland, where he hit 233, 701 OPS, and couple that with what he did last year between his time with the Nationals and San Diego? Remember, when he got traded to San Diego last year, he hit, it was about 193, or he hit sub 200 over his final two months after the trade deadline last year. So if you couple that with his Cleveland time, are you looking at that, or are you looking at the potential that he showed in Miami? That's really what he and agents, his agent Scott Boris are really having to decide as to if they think he can get a bigger deal going into free agency or does he take the 16 and a half this year, hope that what he did in Miami continues on, and then after this season, try to make one final splash in the free agent market. Solaire, I think, barring, barring the Marlins and him coming to agreement on a new deal, I think he's going to be a free agent. That just it just seems to make the most sense. Thirteen million. I feel like he's going to be able to get better than that, and we'll see where that goes. Uh, the other contractual stuff. Uh, there are three players with team options: Johnny Cueto, Matt Barnes, and John Birdie. John Birdie, I think, is the only one of those three I would expect for the Marlins to pick up from their side. Just we saw what happened with Johnny Cueto. Matt Barnes only pitched about a few months before having hip surgery, and I don't think they're going to pay eight million for Barnes to come back next year. And then you also have Joey Wendell, David Robertson, and Yuli Gurriel all slated to become free agents. Their contracts are up, which the Joey Wendell part and the John Birdie part slide into the third part that Andre brought up in bringing up all these contractual stuff with the shortstop decision. Uh, right. Wendell was supposed to be the, the start, their primary starting shortstop this year. Defensively, he was great. He was among the top 10 defensive runs saved. His bat just complete outside of the month of June, his bat was almost non-existent. Wendell admitted it. He acknowledged it. He admitted how much it sucked that he wasn't able to contribute for the team. And then with him, his absence offensively, the Marlins went with a combination of John Birdie and Garrett Hampson down the stretch as their primary shortstops. Both of those guys are primarily utility players. So do they really want to go back into another year of the revolving door of utility players playing shortstop? I don't know. I don't think so. They also have Jacob Amaya waiting in the wings. They got him from the Miguel Rojas trade with the Dodgers in the offseason. His bat looked good at times in AAA. His defense is gold glove worthy. But it's a matter of if his offense is going to be enough to contribute. If not, we're sort of back in this exact situation that we're in this year. There's also, who knows, if the Marlins end up looking at Jazz go, hey, we found a center fielder. You want to come back and play in the infield? I'm not endorsing that option. I'm not denying that option. I'm just saying, Jazz, I'm just going to say that Jazz Chisholm Jr. improved drastically in center field. 
And I feel like that is the better position fit for him. That's just my two cents. I'm not a GM. I'm not an AGM. I'm not making the decisions. But if I were in their shoes, I would consider doing what you can to keep Jazz in center just because we saw the strides there. And and like, like Andre mentioned, if he stays healthy, he had a 2020 season, essentially 25 stolen bases, 19 home runs in less than 90 games this year. Right. Just imagine what he can do if he's playing, even if it's just 130 games. I'm not even. I'm not trying to say 162 because I'm not. All respect to Jazz, I don't see that happening. But if he's able to stay healthy for 130 games, right, you can easily see a 30-30 season out of him in 130 games, yeah. and that just that I'm, would fuel this team on top of a healthy Luis Arise for a full season, and then figuring out a Jake Berger they have control under over for four more years. They have a lot of the pieces there. They just need to finish rounding out this lineup and figuring out the insurance policies for the back or figuring out the backup plans afterward. The, the rule changes this year. We saw the explosion of stolen bases all around the league. You know, Acuna was the headliner, of course, with the 40, 70, and all of that. But you saw it. Any of these guys that have the speed, have the tools like Jazz does, it's like tailor made for them to just explode and have a huge season. So if he, yeah. Even if he gets, even if he plays in 110, 120, just having him consistently and then not having those breaks where he has to be off and then get his timing back and all of that, it'll be so, it, it's tailor made for him to have a big year. I mean, you said 30 30, and I, I think, and even that's conservative. If he can play more, heck, he could even make a run at the 40 40. If he, yeah, if he no, that's his goal. Full season. Full, he's, yeah, he's that he, type of player. He's got that, he's got those tools. To get that done, the whole thing is durability, and and that's he's a foundational piece of this team. And if he can get there, it'll there'll be that much better. And, I, and that's that's the kind of development that has to happen, I think, for this team to make the next leap, and, and at least what maybe win a playoff series and be in a position like you know the like the Diamondbacks are right now, or the Texas Rangers, a team that went through the, the bad, and now look at them. Not only did they get in. But they are taking it to the contenders. In fact, the I don't know if you wanted to add to that, but I, I wanted to end the show on the uh, kind of our, our our revised predictions, I guess, at this stage. Who do we think is going to win the World Series? All that. But if you want to add anything on the on the Jazz front, the Marlins before we switch over. Yeah, no, just really quickly, like you said, you touched on forty forty. That's been Jazz's goal since he became a full time guy in this on this team in the twenty twenty one season. His goal was to get 40-40, to win a gold glove at whichever position whatever position he's going to be the full-time guy at and to win a world series. Those have been his three goals. MVP is there as well because of course, why not just add another accolade in there to try to get? But <laughs> yeah, why not? Yeah, but again, he he's already gone he's already been an all-star. He's the was the cover of MLB the show this year. He's the type of guy that again, like you said, if he's able to stay healthy, he gives the Marlins a superstar. He yeah. gives the Marlins somebody that MLB at large, anytime he does something, will be able to go down, reference him, put him on, put him on all of their social media, Instagram X. I guess we have to call it X now. Uh, figure out, do, he's just the guy who everyone will be able to be paying attention to the Miami Marlins, not just Marlins fans, because of Jazz Chisholm Jr. If he's able to put everything together, you're 100 right on that point, and he's at the point where it's starting to become crunch time. He's arbitration eligible this year. That means there's three years until he can either become a free agent or they need to talk about contract extension. He needs to be able to put a full year together before the Marlins can be comfortable enough to be in that spot. And it's as it is, 
He's entering a pretty important 2024, obviously for the Marlins in general, but he is going to be at the center of a lot of what defines this team's success next season and beyond. Yeah, marketable player for sure on that front too. I'm glad you made that point because we saw it even before he really made as big of a name for himself already getting put on a video game cover. I mean, that's who who gets that so quickly, you know what I mean? So that shows you if he, if he really blows up and really becomes a, that level of star, if he stays on the field, sky's the limit, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, now I can't even remember who we picked uh, to win. I mean, I know I think I picked Atlanta to win it all, but God, they may be on the brink at this point by the time people are listening to this. I like the Rangers now, all of a sudden. I mean, like I, 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 they just, they've, they have some pitching. They have the, the, just the, the, the way they're going into Baltimore and just, Wrecking them. I mean, there's a few hot teams that you could pick as, as kind of like the new darlings of, uh, you know, like your favorite to maybe win it all. But I don't know. I got a funny feeling about those Rangers. It's going to be tough because I think I think they're going to end up squaring off with their state rival again in the ALCS. I think Astros will end up winning that series probably. That's my pick anyway. Um, and then on the other side, I got to go with the Phillies after what they did last year. I think it could be it could end up being a Texas Phillies series potentially. And, and wow. Would that be interesting? Yeah, and just to quickly circle back to the beginning, the, the Braves finally got hits. They have two hits now as mm-hmm. of the going into the bottom of the seventh. Uh, but I'm I'm going with Philly all the way this year. I'm gonna, I think seeing what – obviously seeing what they did against the Marlins, seeing it in person was eye-opening. Seeing what they're doing right now against Atlanta and being able to shut down – again, the offense – their lineup we already knew was ridiculous. Again, yeah. it's – to a point where, like, you see games where, like, JT Real Muto's batting seventh at times, and you're just like, if if JT Real Muto is going seventh in your lineup, that's just that's a monstrous lineup right there. And I don't trust either team on the other side of the NL bracket, whether it's Arizona or LA. I just think whoever comes out from Philly, Atlanta is going to move on to the World Series. So with that, I'm going with Philly to make it in the NL side. I don't think it's going to happen, but I really want to see Minnesota make it right now. Just because I just feel so happy and so proud for Pablo Lopez. Just watching what he did last night, seven shutout innings lot uh, on Sunday in game two to tie the series one-to-one. That's going to be the most intriguing series the rest of the way for this division series. Just because, again, Texas a win away from clinching. Uh, Philly is a win and two-ish innings at the time of, that I'm saying this right now from clinching. Uh, the Dodgers don't really have a rotation. And when it comes to Arizona, okay, they have Zach Allen, they have Merrill Kelly. That's really it when it comes to their pitching staff. And I feel like if Philly gets to at least one of them, they're going to be able to cruise through cruise through the World Series. Yeah. And Philly, I think he's going to be able to shut down that Arizona lineup. Of course, so, they're, all going to be, they're all going to be laughing at us uh, the next time we they see us on this episode if, uh, if Atlanta comes back and wins the series oh, in five. Oh, of course they will. But then again, I also picked San Diego to win to win the whole thing this year. So anything I uh, say, obviously take my take what I say with a grain of salt. I picked San Diego Padre. If right, if I'm right, I picked San Diego Houston when we yeah. did this back in the preseason. So, uh, well, look, I, I even I think last week or I think it was or whatever we were talking about the the big picture as a whole in the playoffs. I think I even said the Padres have been a choke franchise. They haven't done anything. I, that's how much this season, the disappointment of this season, made me forget that they actually made the playoffs last year. Yeah. And finally did something, but it was overshadowed. Made they made the NLCS last year. Right. But as I'm saying, it was so overshadowed by the fact that, like I'm thinking coming into this year, 
they're going to, they might get to the World Series this time. No. And then they go, they revert to the same disappointing Padres. So that's how yeah. much it, like, I, I even forgot. I'm like, that's right. They were in what are one of the final four teams a year ago. And then, wah, wah, forget about that. Yeah. Now they're back to being the disappointing Padres again. So. Yeah. But now, just to quickly make my pick, I'm going to go for a repeat of the World Series. I'm going to go Philly, Houston, but I'm going to go Philly okay. to win it. I'm going to go Philly to win it. Philly in to six. Flip it. Okay. Yeah. I'll go yeah, Philly in six in the World Series. Yeah. I, I, I will. We both have a Texas team on the AL side. We'll see yes. who ends up being right. But I think, but yeah, if Philly does clear this obstacle, and by the time people hear this, maybe they have uh, <laughs> against the Braves. We'll, Wow, uh, that, that that is tremendous because, I, again, I have a lot of respect for that Braves team, just yes. the way they're constructed. They just look so even, – even without even without taking into account all, all the, the results that they put this year, but coming into the season, you know, I, I've said that repeatedly on this show, how they're built to last and just don't seem to have too many weaknesses at all. For the Phillies to go in there and take them down, assuming they hang on here in game two, to take them – to even do – what they've done to this point in the series to take them out twice in Atlanta. You want to talk about playoff atmospheres? Yeah. Shoot. Atlanta, you know, uh, truest park is bad enough when you face them in the regular season and they got the chop going and all that. So we'll see what happens. But uh, for now, uh, we thank everybody for watching this show, for listening to this show. Remember, you can catch it on all your favorite podcatchers, you know, iTunes, Spotify, you name it. And then, of course, at MiamiHerald.com and on YouTube. Uh, Jordan and I will probably be taking a little bit of a break from the show now that the season's over. Well, Jordan's not going to take a break. He's going to be covering the Florida Panthers, and I'm going to be all over the place with Dolphins and high school football, you name it. But uh, as far as this show goes, uh, we'll be back, uh, thinking maybe in a few weeks. I want to nail that yeah. down just yet. but Yeah, so probably whenever there is enough content for us to, to warrant an episode, we're not just going to – do an episode just to say we're doing an episode every week at this point during the off season. Right. When there is news, we'll come, we'll hop back on, but yeah, it probably won't be a weekly thing during the off season. Uh, like Andre said, uh, I start Panthers coverage. Our season starts Thursday chance to try to get back to the Stanley cup final. Uh, we have all everything else going on. The heat starting up. The dolphins are doing well. UM was doing well until whatever the heck that finish was on Sunday or on Saturday, I should say. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot going on down here, but, there will still be Marlins content on the Herald website. Still going to be trying to do, I'm still probably going to be doing about a story or two a week just to keep the content flowing. And again, once the world series ends, there's going to be more to do. That's the second pod this week, non Canes pod that the Miami debacle has made it an appearance and, and been referenced yeah. to right, Title Towns, the, Florida. And now the fish bites pod. Okay. So on that note, should I, should I just take a knee and run the, run the clock out for the rest of this episode, Andre? <laughs> Yep, just to do do the right thing, uh, Jordan. Just uh, take a knee. Let's get out of here and let's, uh, you know, let's call it a season. Thanks, you, thank you, everybody, for watching Fish Bites, and we'll see you at some point before 2023 is over. Thanks, guys.